Blog Talk Radio. And I Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by an education grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. David Rubenstein. He is a professor of molecular neurogenics and a UK Dementia Research Institute professor at the University of Cambridge. He is deputy director of the Cambridge Institute of Medical Research. Dr. Rubenstein earned his MD, CHB, BSc, MedOns, and PhD degree, degree from Cape Town. He came to Cambridge in 1993 as a senior registrar in genetic pathology and was the first person to complete formal training in his field in the UK. His research is focused on the field of, uh, let's see, autophagy, particularly in the context of neurodegenerative diseases. His laboratory pioneered the stage of autophagy unregulation as a possible therapeutic approach in various neurodegenerative diseases and has identified drugs and novel pathways that may be exploited for this objective. He has made contributions that reveal the relevance of autophagy defects as rare disease mechanisms and to the basic cell biology uh, of this important catabolic process. Rubenstein was elected fellow of the Academy of Medical Sciences in 2004, EMBO member 2011, and fellow of the Royal Society in 2017. He was awarded the Graham Bull Prize in 2007, the, I'm going to, I'm going to know I'm going to mess this one up, the Thud, uh, the Thud, the Chum Medal in 2016, and Roger D. Boyle Birch Prize of 2017. I hope I got, I hope I did those awards somewhat right, but that's pretty impressive and amazing. Um, so I am going to bring Dr. Rubenstein into the show right now. Hi, David, are you there? I'm there. Hello. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for coming on with us today. It's a pleasure. Let's yeah, let's start by talking about how and um, why you got involved in research for neurodegenerative diseases. I did my PhD actually on hypercholesterolemia, so high lipids in the blood, and I came to Cambridge in 1993. After I'd been in Cambridge for a few weeks, the paper in Cell describing the Huntington's disease mutation from Jim Guzella and his consortium was published. And mm-hmm. the next day, a box appeared on my desk from the head of the lab who said, see what you can do with this. 
and and we started doing some experiments and this whole phenomenon of trinucleotide repeat expansions was very interesting um, in the early 1990s. And uh, we got involved in the field through actually studying the genetics and the trinucleotide repeat instability. So trying to understand the behavior of the Huntington's mutation at the genetic level. Okay. Wow. So you kind of just fell on your desk, literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, today we're going to talk about philodipine-induced autophagy in mouse brains with pharmacokinetics amenable for repurposing. So first, if you could tell us what that means, and then how did this study come about? Okay. So, so philodipine is a drug that is used in people for treating high blood pressure. And it works by inhibiting a calcium channel. So it's a, a, it, it, it's the calcium channel is a pore on the surface of the cell that lets calcium in. So philodipine inhibits that activity. Um, the, the philodipine induces autophagy. So what is autophagy? So autophagy is a process where cell for, the cell forms a type of a, a sac inside the cell which captures material in the cytoplasm, that is the area of the cell outside the nucleus. So the area of the cytoplasm, a bit of the cytoplasm gets captured in the sac and the sac gets delivered to a part of the cell called the lysosome which degrades the contents of the sac. So one way of thinking about it, which emerges from work that we and others have done, is that the sac is like, um, I call it a rubbish collection truck. So you put the rubbish in the truck, the truck drives to the incinerator, which is the lysosome in the cell, and you degrade the contents. So um, that that is what autophagy is. It's a process where cells degrade some of the uh, um, intracellular constituents. And in the early years of the century, we found that autophagy was a critical process that um, enabled the degradation of proteins like mutant Huntington in Huntington's disease, uh, forms of alpha-synuclein in Parkinson's disease, tau in uh, various other dementias, um, and, and a number of other proteins. And so um, this process is relevant to neurodegenerative diseases. Perhaps most importantly, we found that if we speed up the process, then we can get rid of these types of proteins more quickly. And in cells and in fruit fly and zebrafish and mouse models of disease, we can ameliorate the disease because we've removed the poisonous protein more rapidly. So the first part of the sentence that you read out um, describes the fact that philodipine, this drug that is used normally to treat people with high blood pressure, um, is able to induce um, the appearance of more rubbish trucks inside the cell to get rid of uh, the dangerous mutant Huntington as one of the proteins that it can handle. It does so in mouse brains. And, and what was important in our experiments was that um, because this is a drug that is used normally in people, what we wanted to do in our mouse experiments was to ensure that we did some experiments where we could mimic 
the concentrations of the drug that you'd see in a person taking philodipine for high blood pressure in the mouse, which is quite a lot harder than what we'd think it should be. But we mimic the human concentrations in the mouse. And when you mimic that, you can still induce autophagy in the brains of, of the mice and remove proteins like mutant Huntington in the brains of the mice. And all um, that the pharmacokinetics means is the pharmacokinetics refers to the way that the body deals with the drugs. And um, the, the word repurposing just describes the fact that you're taking a drug that is used for one purpose, like high blood pressure, and you're adapting mm-hmm. it for the use in another purpose, like Huntington's disease or other neurodegenerative diseases. So right, right. Okay, I hope so, that sort of explains okay. the general concept. So we've taken a drug used for um, high blood pressure, and we've um, you've done experiments in a range of animal systems in zebrafish and mice um, in order to show that this mice can induce the removal of proteins like mutant Huntington's mutant Huntington from nerve cells. And uh, we've done a number of experiments in the studies to show that we can ameliorate um, Huntington's disease models in mice, as well as a Parkinson's disease model in mice. This study came about actually from something we did 10 years ago, actually, where we did an experiment um, in cell-based systems in order to screen for drugs that might be able to upregulate autophagy and increase the removal rate of proteins like mutant Huntington. And, and, and what we did is we used cell models and we screened for drugs that had been used for other indications to see if any of those induced autophagy and removed these proteins. One of the classes of drugs that we identified were these calcium channel blockers. Um, but the drug we identified in the screen was a drug called verapamil. And the problem with verapamil is though, although we showed it worked very well in the systems we were studying, we realized after a while that it doesn't cross the blood-brain barriers. So that people taking verapamil mm. um, have the benefits of its effects outside the brain, but they don't have any effect in the brain. And so the next round of experiments that led to this paper um, were aiming to find drugs that had the same types of um, properties as verapamil to block this um, channel um, and induce autophagy, but that would get into the brain, which is obviously critical for treating a disease like Huntington's disease. And that's how we got to where we are today. Fantastic. So I, I on a kind of a, a when you, we talk about repurposing, I've, I've, we've heard of this so many times, right, of, of repurposing drugs and, and finding different ways um, that they can help other things. And so when you go through, I know this is kind of off the topic of that we've interviewed, but in the future, projecting forward, if it was a drug that's already been um, found by regulatory agencies as safe and effective, does that make the process of a human clinical trial faster or expedited, or is it something that it still has to go through the whole process because it's, I know that's very future, but. No, no, no. Well, it's not so future, and I think that um, it makes a lot of that um, work in humans much, much easier and much quicker because 
there's already a lot of safety information on the drug and um, a lot of experience with possible side effects. Um, and so um, fortunately, this drug is pretty safe and has a you know fairly long track record of use. And so um, hopefully we'll be able to move it into people with not too much difficulty um, and take it forward. Um, there's also a history of long-term use, which is important for a, um, a drug for treating a disease like Huntington's disease. Um, I think the critical point that I just want to um, reiterate is that um, when one does these types of experiments with repurposing, so if you take a drug used for high blood pressure, for instance, and you try to see does it have benefits in multiple neurodegeneration, I think it's important to try to get the concentrations right because the risks mm -hmm. that one can have is that you do, you know, the drug works um, in your mouse model of your favorite disease, but it's actually working at a concentration in the mice that might be 100 times higher than anything a person could tolerate. And so one needs to repurpose in as many respects as possible and mimic the human situation as closely as possible when one is doing these animal experiments. And we made great efforts to do that. Perfect. Yeah. So what, what are you guys trying to learn um, with this study in the lab? Well, with the, I mean, I think in what we're trying to learn um, is um, more whether we can now move this compound forward or this drug forward mm -hmm. into studies in patients with appropriate neurodegenerative diseases. And so we're going to have to go through mm -hmm. a number of different steps that I'm happy to try to, to outline um, in order to, to, to progress this in a, in a rational manner. But I think we're very keen now to uh, move this into people. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And so, um, through that, what were kind of the some results that you found through this study? Ah, well, we did experiments in the study. We did experiments first in neurons from mice and showed that this drug, as well as other drugs in the class, could induce autophagy, the formation of autophagosomes, and the, the removal of substrates of autophagy, like mutant Huntington. Then, um, we did experiments in zebrafish uh, models, and we have zebrafish models of a number of diseases. Here we used a model of um, dementia caused by a tau. And in the zebrafish models, we showed that we could remove tau and ameliorate its toxicity by treating with this drug. And the zebrafish give us the ability to test whether the effects of the drug are dependent on autophagy. So we can make autophagy incompetent zebrafish which live for long enough for us to do the experiment and we have no benefits of the effect of the drug in autophagy defective zebrafish while we have very nice effects in normal zebrafish now those aren't experiments we can do in mice or not in the uk on my license with mice uh, because autophagy um, removal in the brain um, can cause quite rapid degeneration and toxicity. So um, with the zebrafish mm -hmm. experiments allowed us to show that this drug acts in an autophagy-dependent fashion. And then we did experiments in Huntington's disease mouse model with the drug, 
and found that the drug remove it gets into the brain, um, it reduces um, the number of uh, Huntington aggregates in the brain. This correlates with induction of autophagy in the brain. And in the Huntington's mouse model, we study the drug ameliorated all the behavioral signs that we examine. We then wow. did uh, very careful pharmacokinetic experiments and found that the concentration in the Huntington's experiments of the drug in the blood and the brain were very high. And so we then set out to mimic the human situation with the drug in the mice, and that took us a very long time. And eventually we used pumps under the skin um, to administer the drug when we found a protocol that allowed us to mimic um, the, the, the human situation with the drug in terms of the blood concentrations. Um, so we could mimic the human blood concentrations in the mice, and we could measure the concentration of the blood in the brains of the mice, and then we could show at that concentration of the blood in the brains of the mice um, induced autophagy in neurons in tissue culture, as well as in um, pluripotent stem cells derived neurons um, mm. in tissue culture. We then used that same protocol to show that we could remove mutant Huntington more rapidly uh, when we mimicked the human concentration um, in the mice. And then we wanted to have a disease model where we could test its efficacy. And the, the challenge was that when we use these pumps under the skin, we're only allowed to replace them once, and they only work for two weeks um, with our protocol. So we had to find a model which showed a decline over four weeks that um, was useful to study. And by chance, one of the students in the lab had been characterizing the mouse model expressing a mutant form of alpha-synuclein that is found in a form of Parkinson's disease, and found that the mouse model got sick around six months and then declined over the following month um, quite clearly. And we showed that if when we, in, when we inserted the pumps, at six months in these mice, we removed the mutant protein more rapidly between six and seven months. We um, reduced the neurodegeneration, which is seen in this mouse model, which is um, a, a useful tool and we um, reduced the amount of um, aggregation of the, the mutant, the aggregated form of the protein in the mouse model, and we also improved the grip strength, which um, was the only uh, behavioral sign that was apparent in the mice at this time. So we felt that at that concentration, um, we are inducing autophagy in the brain, or at least we're removing these mutant proteins in the brain, and we're having benefits on neurodegeneration. And so we feel that um, this is good support for then moving on to human studies. What is very interesting about this drug is that there are now a number of studies that have examined it um, in relation to subsequent Parkinson's use. So people have done um, studies of large populations and have found that people taking this class of drug, which when it gets into the brain, end up being protected um, against subsequent Parkinson's disease compared to people who take forms of this, this class of drug that don't get into the brain or not this drug at all. So this also suggests, at least from an epidemiological perspective, that 
um, various supports um, consistent with um, this drug having benefits in these types of diseases, or at least in stopping the progression or the early onset of these diseases. Right, that's fantastic. So when you said when we talked about earlier, we talked about the um, the goals trying to you know get this into human study. You you said that there's like kind of an outline that you could describe to us. Can we go back and and talk about that? Yes. So you know this drug hasn't been used in, for instance, in Huntington's patients yet. So um, what we'd like to do is first do a dose finding study, see what type of doses um, can be tolerated. Um, in, in, in people with Huntington's disease. Uh, it probably will do the experiments in early Huntington's disease individuals. Um, then we want to um, demonstrate that the drug acts the way we expect it to act. So is it acting through the mechanism that we hope it should act? And what we're hoping to do is follow the types of precedents that have been used with the ASO trials where people have found that the concentration of mutant Huntington in the spinal fluid correlates with the amount of Huntington in the brain. And so what we tried to do is assess if this drug reduced the amount of Huntington in the spinal fluid. And I think if we had those types of data, um, so if we showed the drug was well tolerated and we found a concentration of the drug which enabled the removal or the reduction of the levels of the mutant Huntington in the spinal fluid, then we'd have a lot of support for um, the likelihood that this mechanism is operating in, in people, which is, I think would be critical. And then the next step would be to say to, um, to somebody with deep pockets that um, mm -hmm. we think that we've got sufficient um, biology behind us to justify a suitably powered proof of concept study. Now, the, the proof of concept study will need some discussion um, because I think that one might want to go as early as possible um, in Huntington's disease patients in order to yeah. um, ameliorate either very early progression or even possibly the onset of disease. Sure, yeah. And the beauty, yeah. what I should say, is that if this, you know, this drug should be safe given what we know about it and is a drug that one could even consider if it were successful in these types of preliminary experiments, um, thinking about giving in order to delay the onset of the disease, which I think would be um, a very important objective. Um, and since it's well tolerated, it would be um, a reasonable candidate in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask this next question because it, it's so interesting. Um, we've been doing this show for so long, and we were doing it back when we talked about CoQ10 enzyme and creatine. And, you know, we do these shows or these announcements come out, and people run out, and they start taking um, these. These were supplements, so they were easy to get their hands on. This is an actual, um, an actual drug. But um, so I know this is kind of a harder question, but I always like to be very transparent about this. So would it be a good idea for people with HD um, to talk to their doctors right now about getting on flotapine. So I, I mean, you know, my job here is as a scientist um, and mm -hmm. not to say what I would do if I were a patient or if somebody in my family were a patient. Um, I see my, my, you know, my job as a scientist is to do things um, in a logical order to build a case or to destroy a case um, for mm -hmm 
this drug or other drugs being suitable for Huntington's disease. Um, and we've got to do our experiments um, in a logical way and in a stepwise way. Um, yeah. You know, I think that if people want to discuss this, if I, if I were a patient um, or had a, a relative who was um, a patient, I'd see no harm in discussing with um, your doctor and, you know, that's their decision. Um, and, I, you know, but, but um, I, I don't think I should say much more. I, I, I you know, I think that people yeah. need, to, the, the clinicians need to make a call. Um, at the moment, there's no evidence in Huntington's disease that it's going to be beneficial um, in people. And we, we really yeah. have to make the um, move from mice to people in a sensible way to get there. But um, yeah. it is a fairly safe drug. Um, and so I can understand why people would be interested in it. And I think it would, it would be rational to ask their doctors if they want to. It's up to their doctors to decide um, whether the case is strong enough as it stands. Sure, sure. And of course, if you have high blood pressure, you have blood pressure issues, absolutely talk to your doctor. <laughs> but you, for Huntington's, right, this is, you know, I think it's so interesting that science is so, I know it's frustrating for the community because the communities are desperate. We're desperate. Our loved ones are suffering. People are dying. You know, they're, they're, they're suffering right in front of our eyes with nothing we can do for Huntington's. But I think that the respect of the process of science, um, going through the process, finding dosing, going through the regulatory process is so frustrating for us, but important because that way we don't have snake oil being sold and things of that such. So I think that um, respecting the process of, of science and, and all of that is very important. Um, and I know that the scientists know how, how desperate we are as a community, and that's why they're working so hard to do this kind of work. Um, so we appreciate that, uh, definitely. So I think that I'm, I'm very excited. I've never heard of flotapine. Uh, I actually asked Dr. Uh, Rubenstein in the beginning how to even say it. So this is really exciting to think that um, possibly in the future uh, we may be able to hear more about this um, as the science starts to progress. So Thank you so much for all that you guys are doing in the lab to find the answers no, 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 for all Thank this. you for your interest. Yes. So do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up the show? Um, I don't have final. I, I hope that I've been reasonably clear, and I think that um, yeah. I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and your, your, your friends and colleagues and listeners. Um, I think that um, uh, hopefully it's very useful. and. Um, uh, thank you very much, and, and, and good luck. Yes, truly, thank you, too. And if there's anything that, that comes up, there's some, if we, you know, any exciting news, please let us know, because we definitely want to keep in communication about this uh, for our listeners and our community, because so, this is exciting, and we always want to, you know, uh, bring hope and research. So if there's anything that uh, we can do a follow-up show on, please let us know, 
And thank you so much for taking the end of the day, end of your day, for being on the show with us. Um, I think the only announcement I have is that registration is open for Sacramento Education Day in California. So you can go on our website, as always, www.help4hd.org. This actual um, education conference is being held on a ship, which is a first for us. So we're very excited about that. Um, March 14th, we're also going to be in Nebraska. We will be in Michigan, and we are going to wrap up our education series in Orlando, Florida. Come out and see. We have amazing speakers, um, a really fun uh, day planned on all of these events, um, and multiple days planned in Florida. So Check us out on the website, as always, for any upcoming information on what's going on at Help for HD International. And until next week, same time, same place, everyone have a safe week. Thank you, Dr. Bloomstein. Thank you.